corrupted as a pupil and blind to the biggest sign. One drive from lack of empathy, fine. We sick of crying. If you won't shed that tear, we fear that they can die. I'm rich, red, white, hot. We pick them. Till they blaze against the dark. My blood will pick it. Unified, I fight like that. Suppressing together, never mass the lesson. Always ask the question Who set the world on fire? Who set the world on fire? Who set the world on fire? The people did. It was me set the world on fire. Who set the world on fire? Who set the world on fire? Who set the world on fire? It was me set the world on fire. It was you that set the world on fire. It was the people of the United States of America that set the world on fire. No one else. Now, maybe I may have sparked a match. I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe. But yesterday I was uh, extremely distracted uh, because I had a bunch of people in my uh in my purview, <laughs> I couldn't focus, but I was also very upset. And the reason I was very upset is because of the moves that they're making. Um, unprecedented, unexpected, and very bold. So bold that yesterday you had a president, supposedly, of the United States threaten his own citizens. That, if anything, should alarm you. That should, uh, that should terrify each and every one of you. You know, I hear a lot of people who live off the grid, who, uh, you know, focus on these more constitutional things, the quantum grammar, blah, 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 blah. Listen, it's not going to work because you can't educate the people to understand just how many rights they have forfeited. You have to stick to the basics. And what you need to understand is that you need to pick and choose your battles, but you also have to be sure that the weapons you used in that battle are the correct ones. When you start swaying with citizen grand juries and bullshit, you're going to end up with nothing because you cannot educate the masses fast enough. How many times do we have to say that? So moving along, those of you that say, come get my guns, you better, I've told you this before, they're coming and you will have that boot on your face if you do not organize correctly. Now, while many believe, well, I've studied constitutional law and I know that I can do this and we need to look at the flag like this and we need to did stop. That's what a hundred of you, a thousand of you, let's pretend it's 10,000 of you that understand that very well. Where are you going to put it when the judicial system is corrupt? How are you going to take your nation back if you're using weapons that other people in the United States aren't educated enough to use? I told you they're coming for you. And he's not in the middle anymore. And they knew exactly what we had planned. They even disarmed Rudy in the state of New York. What you don't seem to understand is that he threatened you live on TV and you didn't even hear it. Most of you were thinking, my AR, my this. Listen to this carefully, okay? You're going to listen to this carefully. We're going to listen to the whole speech, and I will break it down. Because I thought that almost everybody understood that an alleged sitting president of the United States threatened his own citizens. And hear this. He wasn't prompted by a question. 
He wasn't prompted by any direction. This was in his speech. And the more you pull out that red string, the more you believe war, you don't even know the kind of war you are up against right now, the kind of war that they have ready for you. You do not understand it. When I say organize locally, I mean it. Because on a local level, you can defend yourself. On a local level, you can defend your county, your city, and your state. While everyone's looking at elections for 2022, and I've had uh, numerous conversations, so-and-so is running and they're great and blah, 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 right? Stop. If they're already talking about elections and they're not addressing the fact that we can't have fair elections, then they're part of the problem. And then the response that you get from the majority of these people is, well, you know, it's not like we can have something in place so we can have elections on time. Then let's not have elections yet. This isn't like any normal year. That wasn't a normal four-year presidential election cycle. We should not be even focusing on elections right now when we do not have a voice. I mean, come on. When I hear that, it drives me and say, I'm going to the campaign because this person's being elected. No, they're being elected with corrupt equipment. They're being elected with pre-programmed things. How are you supposedly defending us if you're using the corrupt machinery? Oh, what are you going to do? Cry about it when you lose? Or let's say you win. That means you're controlled opposition to me. That's what that means to me. So this is quite fascinating to watch. This is why I was so, so upset. And I thought I would just... um pretty much cover some world news because I was so upset with the local benign news where everyone's showing who their friends are, where everyone's showing you what they're made of and what everyone is telling you. Oh, we should trust this. That How did that work out for you? How did it work out for you by putting all your eggs in one basket rather than putting the eggs in your own freaking basket? And then having 10 friends with their eggs in their own freaking basket. It didn't work out so well, did it? No, it didn't. No one was able to save you. No crackins, no big words, no nothing helped you because you believe that someone's going to come and save you. It was all about you waking up. The only way that you can see what's going on is if you wake up. The only way to understand the story sometimes is to come to the end. And the only way to start a proper war is to be standing on the carnage of the war they brought to your feet. If you need more, then let it, <laughs> and so be it. Let it be more. How many people will have to be dragged out of city council meetings, school meetings? How many people need to be dragged out of their jobs, their lives? How many people need their kids taken away from them? How many people need to be locked up before people decide that they are willing to fight for their freedom. But you know, many of you will say, but I am fighting for it. Fight means action. Action means you do what you can. Okay, many of you can't go out to your city council meetings for whatever reason. And you support those that are doing it for you. Many of you can't file this, that, or the other. Let it be so. Then support those that do it. We need to be focused, we need to be centered, and we need to be attacking on all ends, okay? On all ends. Now, listen to speech. 
and listen to him threaten the very citizens that he is supposed to be serving. Thank you, General. Let me, before I begin, thank the participants in our roundtable today. Two mayors, three mayors, chiefs of police, attorneys general, and community organizers uh, are doing significant work in bringing down violent crime in their communities. There is no uh, one, uh, one answer fits everything. And it's about being engaged and multiple organizations being engaged. So I want to thank you for the time you spent with us today. <clears throat> and I warned you, I'm coming back at you again for more information. <clears throat> and uh, we just met, as I said, with a bipartisan group of, uh, of mayors, law enforcement, and community leaders. We discussed a, a comprehensive strategy that I'm releasing today to uh, combat the epidemic of gun violence and other violent crime We've been seeing in our country for far too long that has spiked since the start of the pandemic over a year ago. Crime is historically rises during the summer. And as we emerge from this pandemic with the country opening back up again, the traditional summer, summer spike may be more pronounced than it usually would be. For folks at home, here's what you need to know. I've been at this a long time. And there are things we know that work that reduce gun violence and violent crime and things that we don't know about. But things we know about, background checks for purchasing a firearm are important. Ban on assault weapons and high capacity magazines. No one needs to have a weapon that can fire over 30, 40, 50, even up to 100 rounds. Unless you think the deer are wearing Kevlar vests or something. Community policing and programs that keep neighborhoods safe and keep folks out of trouble. These efforts work, they save lives. But over time, these policies were gutted and woefully underfunded. In our conversation today, we talked about our strategy to supercharge what works while we continue to push the Congress to act on sensible gun violence legislation. First, we discussed cracking down, as you heard from the Attorney General, on rogue gun dealers. We know that if there is a strict enforcement of background checks, then fewer guns get into the hands of criminals. Background checks have thus far kept more than 3 million guns out of the hands of felons, convicted felons, fugitive, domestic abusers, and others prohibited from being able to purchase a gun. And there's still too many loopholes in that system. And today, Enough rogue gun dealers feel like they, they can get away with selling guns to people who aren't legally allowed to own them. And I might add, the Second Amendment from the day it was passed limited the type of people who could own a gun and what type of weapon you could own. You couldn't buy cannon. Those who say the blood of the, the blood of patriots, you know, and all the stuff about how we're going to have to move against the government. Okay, listen to this part carefully because everybody missed this. Listen to this part carefully again. Being able to purchase a gun. Listen. And there's still too many loopholes in that system. And today, enough rogue gun dealers feel like they, they can get away with selling guns to people who aren't legally allowed to own them. And I might add, the Second Amendment from the day it was passed limited the type of people who could own a gun and what type of weapon you could own. You couldn't buy cannon. Those who say the blood of the the blood of patriots, you know, and all the stuff about how we're going to have to move against the government. 
Well, the tree of liberty is not water with the blood of patriots. What's happened is that there never been, if you wanted to think you need to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. The point is that- Oh my gosh, did you hear that? So the tree of liberty is not uh, watered with the blood of patriots. It's watered with the blood of patriots that have taken the lives of those that are the enemies, sir. And not only that, how dare you say you can't take on the government? You need F-15s and nukes. Is that a threat? Is that where you want to take it? You want to take it to a nuclear war when the people are trying to gain their nation back? Listen to it again in case you missed it. Because that was important. You couldn't buy cannon. Those who say the blood of the the blood of patriots, you know, and all the stuff about how we're going to have to move against the government. Well, the tree of liberty is not water with the blood of patriots. What's happened is that there never been. If you wanted to think you need to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. The point is that it's always been the ability to limit, rationally limit the type of weapon that can be owned and who can own it. The last time we had data on this issue of uh, who was purchasing guns was more than 20 years ago. 5% of gun dealers, turns out, in the study we did, showed that 90% of illegal guns were found at the crime scenes sold by 5% of gun dealers, 5%. So 90% of the guns found in crime scenes. And the, uh, these merchants of death are breaking the law for profit. They're selling guns that are killing innocent people. It's wrong. It's unacceptable. He made it clear what this gun control is about. It's about you. It's about you wanting to take over your government. You mean the government that you're supposed to be governing anyway. The fact that you are self-governed bothers them. This is exactly what he said to all of America yesterday. All of America yesterday, and everybody missed it. I think he was hoping for a smile or a crack or a laugh. <laughs> You're not going to do shit. I got the military. You got sticks and stones. That's what he's saying. And I'm going to take those sticks and stones too. That's exactly what he said. They're coming for you. They're coming for you. And every single one of you that are like, I have a gun. I'll die trying. You definitely will. So how do you fix this? Well, this isn't going to be able to pass now. Now they have another election season and the Democrats are terrified that they're going to be more Republican candidates. So now they're busy trying to see how they're going to fix the election without people watching a corrupt election, of course. So they're looking to see who of their own they can place that can pretend to be a Republican <laughs> that can pretend to be on your side. You know, kind of like that clown that was thumping for President Trump, right, from Ohio. And because he was a football player, he was famous as shit. And then when it came down to it, he voted to impeach. See, this is how they work. So while they're distracted with the elections, because they know they're losing the House and the Senate, right? Because the House is important now. We need impeachment. We've got the Senate. The House is important now. And this is what irritates me. That we're going to have people in there just like that clown from Ohio that are going to be like, go gung-ho, America, America, America. But when you still have Ronna McDaniel on the steering wheel right there and corrupt gatekeepers sitting on all the money that President Trump raised, guiding the hand of who he needs to endorse or not, well, this is a problem.
This is a very big problem. So the intervention that you need to do is on a local level. Um, and in order to assist in motivating you, I thought today we can look at the psychology of dictatorships. Uh, that's a very important thing to understand is to how dictatorships, what the psychology behind it is. Very important to understand. So let's get with it. Let's do this. In our everyday conversations, we typically talk about dictatorships and democracies as if they are completely different categories. But I want to convince you that we should see dictatorships and democracies and all different societies as being on the same continuum. Think of a continuum with absolute dictatorship on the one hand and absolute democracy or what I call actualized democracy on the other hand. All countries begin as dictatorships. For example, even the United States started as a dictatorship being ruled by a king from overseas. Some countries have made quite a lot of progress moving from dictatorship to actualized democracy. However, no country has it yet become a fully actualized democracy, including Western countries. And we have many countries that are still fairly dictatorial. For example, Iran and North Korea are examples of countries that have made probably the least progress towards moving away from dictatorship. And the largest dictatorships at present are uh, China and Russia. Of course, they have changed. For example, Putin's Russia is more open than was Stalin's Russia. And the current Chinese leadership uh, in the 21st century is more open than Mao's China. However, they are still closed societies and they still do not allow dissent in the way that democracies should allow dissent. Indeed, when we think about the difference between dictatorship and democracy, one of the most important differences is voice, the ability to express one's thoughts freely. Uh, one of the tests for a democracy is what is called the town square test. Can a person go to their local town square and speak out freely without fear of arrest and uh, even death? Uh, of course, another very important test of democracy is what I call the vote them out test. Can you vote out the national leader? Uh, in many countries, you can vote somebody in, but it's very difficult to vote them out. For example, countries such as Russia and Iran have elections, but these elections are utterly meaningless because the outcomes are already preordained. Uh, because the candidates are pre-selected and there is no real choice between candidates because the candidates all represent the same thing. Another feature of the 
movement from dictatorship to democracy is the ability of people, ordinary people, to participate in elections and decide the leadership. Even in the most important elections in the United States at the present, about 50% of the eligible voters participate in the elections. Uh, this is one reason why the United States is as yet not an actualized democracy. Uh, people have not fully engaged in the democratic process and they are not fully engaged in selecting the leadership. Of course, uh, some people would argue that this is a good thing because they adopt an elitist view of democracy and believe that uh, only a minority of the citizens should be participating in politics. As a psychologist, I'm particularly interested in the psychological foundations of dictatorships and democracies. And my focus on dictatorships and democracies is very different from traditional psychology. In traditional psychology, there has been a great deal of research on leadership. And particularly in the case of dictatorships, the focus has been on the personality of the dictator. There are hundreds of studies of the personality of Hitler, uh, Stalin, etc. And the argument has been that there is something very special about the personality of the dictator. My approach has been to focus on the context that gives rise to dictatorship rather than just on the personality of the dictator. I have argued that in terms of personality characteristics and personality traits such as narcissism, there are always potential dictators in every human group. You know that there are potential dictators where you work and there are members of your family who could become dictators in terms of personality. What does not allow them to become a dictator is the context, the opportunity. I put forward in my book, The Psychology of Dictatorship, what I call a springboard model. The springboard enables the potential dictator to spring to power. And the springboard comes into position under certain historical conditions. For example, in Germany in the 1930s, a springboard to dictatorship came into place and Hitler, a potential dictator from among many, sprang to in any context where a springboard to dictatorship arises, there are many potential dictators who could use that springboard. And of course, it is going to be the most ruthless and Machiavellian among those potential dictators who grabs the opportunity and actually springs to power. So individual differences do matter. They do make a difference. One of the claims in the discussions about dictatorship has been that the masses are kept in their places in dictatorships through the power of ideology. For example, the argument has been that 
in communist countries it is the ideology of marxism or in islamic dictatorships it is the ideology of islam that keeps the masses in their places i see things very differently in dictatorships that i have lived in or traveled in i have found that actually if you get to know the people even if they're illiterate most of them know very well what is going on and they are not fooled by the ideology they know very well that they live in corrupt dictatorships what prevents the people from rising up against the government is simply the guns held to their heads it is naked power that keeps the masses in their places however ideology does have a very important role in dictatorship its role is to keep the elite ruling group cohesive so that they through their cohesion can use force to keep the masses in their places so the role of ideology in dictatorships is a very important one it is to make sure that there is conformity and obedience at the very top that is why when there is the least ideological nonconformity at the top the leader does not tolerate it and immediately gets rid of the dissenter at the top however what you do find in dictatorships is dissent among the people at the bottom you get into a taxi in a place like Tehran and people will very quickly start talking about the corruption in the government and how terrible things are but if anyone at the top of the regime makes similar comments they are eliminated very quickly as dissenters found in the 2008 2009 period when there was some dissent in Iran one of the most important assumptions that we make is the assumption that there is an inevitability to historical development both the left and the right make this mistake on the left we have the marxist view that there is historical development towards a revolution the overthrow of capitalism and the rise of a proletariat and eventually the classless society on the right uh, there is this end of history thesis that assumes we are headed inevitably towards uh, a world where capitalist democracy dominates both the left and right are wrong in this instance there is no inevitability to historical development it is not inevitable that we are going to move towards more openness we could move backwards if we look back historically there have been times in history where there was more openness and then there was collapse in athens 2500 years ago there was more openness and then there was collapse when king philip defeated the athenians the romans had a period of greater openness and some democracy and then they went back into tyranny more recently germany was a democracy 
and it went into the Nazi era and tyranny. In recent years, we've had a number of countries where there was greater openness, and now we've had more backward movement into tyranny. The Arab Spring brought momentary hope to tens of millions of people, but in many ways, in most countries, it led to, uh, again, a closed society. We must not assume that there is an inevitable march forward. The struggle for openness and democracy is a struggle that requires conscious effort, and it requires conscious effort particularly in Western societies where we have not yet achieved actualized democracies. So the movement is not inevitably forward and it requires conscious effort to reach, to become more open. Hmm. Well, everything he said seems very similar to what we are experiencing right now, all of us are in our nation. So I think it's important for us to understand that competitive authoritarianism is that in between of a monarchy and a dictatorship. So in order to see that sweet spot, I thought that we should watch this really short explanatory video uh, that explains the difference between a monarchy and a dictatorship. This will help a lot the of Vegas people. Line between any two here we go monarchies and dictatorships between the two lies arguably the vaguest line between any two systems of governance and by monarchies i'm not counting the ceremonial type as that would make a boring video i'm talking about the all-powerful absolute type or at least those that have some autonomy dictatorships and absolute monarchies are the two most easily confused ways of running a country for one reason absolute power as opposed to democracy the entire power of a nation is vested in one single person have you ever noticed that most dictators have some connection to or are actively involved in the military? This is hardly a coincidence. The majority of dictators became rulers of their nations by military takeovers, and military support is vital. Lose the support of a few bureaucrats, tax collectors, and regional leaders. You can take care of them, but lose control of the military, and your reign is over. Do something the military disapproves of, and you could be overthrown overnight. Exhibit A, Robert Mugabe. He may or may not be considered a dictator, but he was nonetheless a powerful tyrant. This brings us to the first fundamental difference between a dictatorship and a monarchy. Monarchies are usually inherited and descend from a royal or noble lineage, called a house, while dictators typically acquire power through force, or if an elected leader refuses to step down. But you, curious viewer, mentioned that the North Korean Kim dynasty and the Assads of Syria are dictatorships that have passed on the position of head of state throughout multiple generations. This brings us to the second significant difference between the two systems of governance. Monarchies usually refer to themselves as well the monarchy, while dictators refer to themselves as leader, chairman, president, general, or some other title, but never dictator. Take for example Kim Jong-un. His official title is chairman of the Workers' Party of Korea, but he is an infamous dictator. While the country he rules is officially named the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, North Korea is neither democratic nor belonging to the people, nor a republic, and barely half Korean. I'm pretty sure that's a failing grade on a vocabulary test. Now, for the third main difference. In 1815, nearly every European nation was ruled by a monarch, while dictators were virtually non-existent on a global scale. Fast forward to 1950, and most of the European monarchies from the early 19th century had been abolished, while dictatorships across the world were flourishing and about to get worse. 
This is because when monarchies are abolished, they are usually followed by liberty. Dictatorships, however, usually arise from the instability of liberty. Take, for example, when Spain withdrew its presence from Latin America. Latin America became liberated from the Spanish royalists. After liberation, various individuals assumed power through force, thus beginning the infamous era of Latin American dictatorships. There are, however, some instances when liberation is bypassed altogether and a monarchy is overthrown by a dictator. You could sit there and listen to me nitpick at the differences between the two for hours, but that is why YouTube gave each video a comment section. So goodbye for now. So what's important here? What is important here? That fine line between monarchy and dictatorship is this competitive authoritarianism. But you must understand who is the ruler of that. Now, many will say, oh, it's the selected administration. Who's behind them? What did Shadowgate show you? Who are the real puppet masters? It's the military industrial complex. It's the generals, the admirals that are all in these contracting jobs. So while all of you are begging for the military to take over, you got to think twice right now. Because we need to know which branch is with America and which branch is with the globalist. That's what you need to understand. And how are you going to figure that out? Explain to me how you're going to figure that out. The military industrial complex has many levels. It's kind of like on the spectrum of sexuality. How much of a bitch are you depends on a spectrum. So now we have to kind of guess where they sit. Now do you see the war was never meant to be won by one person. It's done by you. This is why it's very important, oh, and I really wish I was there, that you guys make our voices heard so loud at that rally. So loud. Don't confuse your voice with campaigns. Yes, Trump won. More than likely, we should all be wearing t-shirts, posting stickers everywhere across the nation. Yes. But that's not your campaign, right? That's a shared campaign. What is your campaign? What is your campaign? Your campaign is that you're in charge. You're the voice. You're the people. You are the news. That's what you are. And this is where you stand. This is going to be a lot harder because people seem to put their feet. I'm so angry. So I'm going to disclose something to you. So at the beginning of June, um, I said, hey, we just need to file a civil case, any case right now in New York pertaining to Hunter Biden's laptop. I went through that shit like nobody's business again and again and again and again. And I said, it's imperative we do it now. No, no, no. Let's wait for July. It's imperative we do it now. No, no, no. Let's wait for July. Well, now we can't file it in New York. This was a problem because it feels, you know, people need, even people that are in this mess have this insane need for a full blown explanation. It's like, shut up, just trust this. And here it is. I mean, I expected it to happen on the 15th, but it took longer. And because everything was so delayed, it came now. This is why I was very upset yesterday, extremely upset yesterday beyond upset yesterday. Cause it's like, great. Now I have another told you so to tell these people, look, I told you this too. Like how many times do we have to play this footsie? And I, and you know, I should, I, I know better. All right. I know it has to be this way. Right. I already know that it has to be this way. I don't know every single detail cause you can't remember everything, but I'm still frustrated. 
Because in the end, we already won. I can tell you that for a fact. But it is so frustrating to have to see just how slow everything moves. And that's because of the people. The people are not on board. All of you that think are woke are not on board at all with understanding the concept. You say it, you may post about it, but no one is really on board. You have your red string gang, you know, grasping for straws with bullshit when they should get on the same page and unite and take back your local governments. How is Ray of Sunshine going to come in if we don't have the room ready for him? Right? It's like inviting guests. It's like me right now trying to invite someone over my house. What? In my living room right now, I have stacks of books, documents, and boxes. I can't invite someone over. Where are they going to sit? That's the stupidest thing ever. So how are we going to invite justice when we're so disorganized and have nowhere to place it? See, that's the issue here, that there's constant delays because everyone's, you know, ego gets in the middle. People are trying to attempt little sideways attacks on anyone that's saying, unite, unite, unite. Stop waiting for someone to come in on a white horse. I wouldn't know where to park it. It's like so simple. The controlled opposition is making it clear to you who they are. And here's how you know who they are because they're adding, adding to the conversation. So here's part of that conversation you should hear because we talked about this a while ago, how the media has to do their job, how everyone's not doing their job. And now we get the media that hasn't been doing their job, telling everyone that they need to do their job. Oh, don't believe me here straight from the horse's mouth. You should hear it yourself and see it yourself. So you can understand just what a big echo delay we have here. Double standard on the left, and that is the mob, the media, their treatment of Donald Trump versus the treatment of Joe Biden. We'll call this a special Hannity investigation, because without a doubt, Joe Biden's first couple of months, they've been an unmitigated disaster. He's not even getting his radical new Green Deal socialist agenda through, as evidenced by tonight. But if you're dumb enough to rely on, oh, the New York Times as your sole only source for news, uh, I doubt you'd have any idea that President Sippy Cup, that guy, uh, is struggling and failing on every front. The headlines from the Times, it it reads like a beautiful love story, praising Biden for his vaccine push the vaccine Donald Trump gave him, touting Biden's constructive meeting with Vladimir Putin. Um, He gave Putin a waiver on a pipeline to build while canceling the Keystone XL pipeline and firing uh, 11,000 Americans. And then, of course, they like to at the New York Times cherry pick polls that always show Biden in a favorable light. But even more telling are the stories that the Times will ignore. We call this biased by omission. For example, the New York Times, like the rest of the media, they say almost nothing about Joe Biden's uh, cognitive issues or massive inflation or the unemployment rate or the numerous scandals surrounding Hunter Biden, uh, many of which now implicate directly his father, who was caught two and a half weeks ago in a lie saying he's never talked to Hunter about his foreign business dealings. But yet we have 
pictures of Joe Biden with Hunter's farm business partners. We'll have more on that in a moment. But needless to say, we have an information crisis in the country. The Times, the rest of the media mob, they're bending over backwards every second minute hour of every day to protect Joe Biden. And it was and remains a very different story with President Trump, because from the moment Donald Trump and Melania Trump came down that escalator at Trump Tower in 2015, continuing to this day, the so-called newspaper of record, they have been stalking, never ending stalking of Donald Trump. The same with the three broadcast networks and two fake news cable channels. Now, literally, they spent five long years spewing lies, a conspiracy theory, one after another, and a huge hoax on the American people. They smeared members of the president's family. They pushed the phony Russian disinformation dossier that Hillary Clinton paid for. They used that to attack Donald Trump. In 2018, it was Ben Smith, my buddy himself. He published the New York Times op-ed detailing how proud he was of himself for publishing Hillary Clinton's bought and paid for dirty Russian disinformation dossier. A year later, he stated, quote, the broad outline of what Christopher Steele was writing is unquestionably true. No, Ben, it was unquestionably false. It was full of Russian misinformation and Russian lies. And you were a willing dupe in all of this. And the New York Times and their deceptive coverage didn't stop there. Here are a few more examples. Take a look. First of all, I think we need to start asking ourselves, and I think in particular Republican leaders in Congress need to start asking themselves, at what point do we stop giving the benefit of the doubt here? Um, we ju- the, the evidence here of these close ties with Russia continue to mount with each and every day. But I think this is the more significant quote. I faced great pressure because of Russia that's taken off. It sure seems to fit one of the elements that there was obstruction of justice. No. Robert S. Mueller III has been examining two chief questions, ties between Donald Trump's campaign and Russia and whether Trump as president has tried to obstruct that investigation. I don't know if I can explain it as well as I did before. If they get a report from the Justice Department, they will likely certainly take impeachment seriously, if not begin an impeachment process against the president. They reported lie after lie after lie. They spewed conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. And as we speak, the New York Times, their Washington correspondent, Maggie Haberman, covers Donald Trump nearly, get this, nine times more than the current president, Joe Biden. When are they going to stop giving Joe and Hunter the benefit of the doubt to quote them? It's completely insane. They stalk Donald Trump. They still stalk Donald Trump and they kiss the ass of and they protect Joe Biden and his corrupt crack addict son, Hunter. Joe Biden is in the Oval Office, Maggie. Ben, Joe is in the Oval Office. Maybe it's time to start doing your job. The New York Times, the rest of the media mob, they're nothing more than Green New Deal socialists and propagandists. They lie. They push their agenda. They push propaganda, misinformation, and they pretend to be something that they're not journalists. They are, in fact, nothing but modern day version of Pravda. This newspaper is not only biased, it is corrupt and it is dishonest. In fact, right now, the New York Times is facing multiple major defamation lawsuits and a pretty amazing decision. The New York Supreme Court, 
Not an easy place to win a case. They refused to dismiss a lawsuit from Project Veritas, and they have now granted Project Veritas and James O'Keefe discovery. Sarah Palin's defamation suit against the New York Times, that is still ongoing, and that appears headed for trial in July. I can't wait. And the Times is also facing a suit from Covington High School student Nicholas Sandman. I'm predicting they'll probably pay him tens and tens of millions of dollars because they defamed his character, told lies about him, and many other media outlets will likely, likely be paying Mr. Sandman a fortune. The New York Times, the rest of the media mob, they're not interested in truth. They're interested in destroying their political enemies. That's far more important to them. And with all the venom, all the hate, all the ink, all the vitriol, they're all clearly addicted to all things Donald Trump. And the reality is, psychologically for them, they cannot quit their psychotic addiction to Donald Trump. They miss him more than anybody. My message to the Times, my message to the rest of the media mob is simple. It's time for you to tell the truth. It's time for you to own your own truth. You are radical leftist, New Green Deal, Trump-hating, Trump-obsessed, uh, New Green Deal socialist. That's who you are. You're kind of like a talk show host. You claim to be journalists, and you're not. You're partisan propagandists, and it's very easy to expose all of your lying and your agenda. The, differ the difference, for example, between me and you, it's simple, but yet it's kind of profound. I'm honest about who I am. I am a member of the press. I'm a talk show host. We do, and I could produce thousands of hours of straight news, thousands of hours of investigative reporting that you're too lazy to do. Uh, I give my opinion. I'm upfront about my conservative political beliefs. I do sports. We do culture. I'm like the entire newspaper. Yeah, you you're see? kind of behind, though. You're kind of behind. The whole world is behind. But as you can see, the media has taken a turn of how they believe that, uh, you know, no one's doing their job. I'm sorry. That is you who's not doing your job. You could have been doing your job all this time, but you haven't. Now, one thing that I saw and I couldn't believe and I was thinking, wow. The left just owned us yesterday with that dude, Matto, right? That dude, Matto, owned us, owned us. And I was going to play that yesterday, but I was so upset with the movement of them, what they were going to do to Rudy Giuliani. I was so upset that I couldn't even focus. But Rachel Matto made a laughing stock of the left, the, the of the right. He... Total, she totally broke us. Like, you have to say, this bitch owned us all with this segment. Her writer, definitely same writer, just so you know. The person that wrote this monologue is the same writer that writes monologues at a very conservative channel. And I don't mean Fox. Take a listen to this. No, the ETs, the aliens, and the, what they did, I didn't know. They are preparing us for the end of the world. They're, I think, going to cause the end of the world. I don't know if that's supposed to be good. The aliens, these cute little, like, deflated Pillsbury Doughboy white aliens, they're kind of good, but it's also kind of the end of the world. Turns out it's all just hidden right out in the open. 
Uh, that was a mo movie. Do we call these things a movie? That was uh, a film that was released in 2019, at least 2019 when it was posted online. Uh, the same filmmaker also made this the year before. Now, in this, you will recognize some of the same dudes from the other movie, but in this movie, they have different haircuts and they have different purported expertise. No tire tracks and no footprints. The Germans had a settlement on the moon, they had a settlement on Mars, and they were doing this as early as 1939. Between the age of 16 and 17 years old, I was transported to the moon, and after 20 years, I was age regressed back in time and then returned to civilian life. This money is going into underground military bases and secret space programs with technology far beyond what many of us could even realize. At some point, this is all going to break open. The more you get involved, the more compromised you become. They may actually kill you. Did you see the giant skulls? The skulls of giants there at the end? The giants who were also maybe old, rich Dutch people who got their portraits painted? Yeah, I, yeah, I know, huh, huh, huh? Ever seen those together? And if you put those right next to a turnip, I'll tell you what, turns out that the giants were maybe the ones who did 9-11 and also I think shot JFK. It was the giants or it was the aliens that did that. Maybe the giants got killed by the aliens after they shot JFK. Honestly, it's hard to figure out. But I will tell you, as this filmmaker has evolved over time, his aliens have gotten better looking. <laughs> <laughs> They've gotten more more stylish, at least, kind of cooler. Can we say that his aliens are getting more hip over time as his movies about them evolve? They're certainly svelter in the in the in the man's later work, to be sure. Uh, I mention this. Uh, I mention this, and I introduce you to this filmmaker's work because for the future of our republic and one of our two major governing parties, it's important to know that that guy, the aliens did 9-11 guy has a new movie coming out this week. Uh, his 2018 movie was Nazis in Space and Aliens Killed JFK. His 2019 movie was Aliens Are Eating Our DNA and Freemasons, whoa, watch out! And here comes the end of the world, but don't worry, the aliens are very peaceful seeming and they'll be cool with you if you watch these movies. Those were his previous works. Now his new movie, which comes out this week, is about the Arizona audit. The so-called audit of the Arizona presidential election result arranged by Republicans in the Arizona state legislature. That is the subject of his next movie. And he appears to be sort of the authorized documentarian of the Arizona audit. I say that because his movie apparently does feature all the people who are doing the audit, all the big players. The opening scene, for example, in the trailer for the film is Ken Bennett the Arizona Republican official who has served all this time as the spokesman for the audit. Now, there he is talking to the, you know, Nazis on the moon, aliens did 9-11 filmmaker. But while he is, if you look at the background, he's at the site of the Arizona recount audit thing at that arena in Phoenix, talking to the aliens did 9-11 filmmaker about the Arizona recount. Uh, the, the movie also includes lots of footage and testimony from the guy who writes books about treasure hunting and whose big claim to fame was inventing a handheld barcode scanner shaped like a house cat. That's the gentleman who now claims to have secret technology he can't disclose to you, which he calls kinematic artifact detection. It is secret, but it is supposedly being applied to all of Arizona's federal election ballots to prove, to prove, to prove 
that Donald Trump must have secretly won. Ask the secret cat scanner. The movie also includes, apparently, uh, the CEO who is maybe also the sole employee of Cyber Ninjas. Um, that's the firm, the guy, who's actually running whatever it is the Republicans are doing with the federal election ballots in Arizona. Uh, his name is Doug Logan, the CEO of Cyber Ninjas. He was shadowed out visually in the original trailer for the movie, but they used his voice. When local reporters in Arizona recognized his voice and realized that was him, uh, the filmmakers recut the trailer to make Doug Logan's voice digitally altered. Then when everybody laughed at them for doing that, they issued a third version of the trailer, this one with Doug Logan from Cyber Ninjas cut out entirely. But if you think you are ready to learn the truth about the 2020 Arizona election results, and you specifically want to learn that truth from the guy who finally figured out that it must have been aliens who did 9-11, and wow, JFK too, and watch out, they might steal you and take you to the moon for 20 years. If that's the guy you want to learn the truth from about the Arizona presidential election in 2020, uh, he had some big news for you this week. You will not be shocked to learn that he announced this news on a Telegram channel that's for followers of the QAnon conspiracy theory. Um, but that's where he made the announcement. You guys, you guys, his new movie is ready. He did the Aliens movie in 2018, did the different Aliens movie in 2019, but now his 2021 movie is ready. It's apparently shot on site at the Republican Arizona election audit in Phoenix. It is premiering at a church in Phoenix this weekend, which I think means it's time to the end of Arizona's so-called audit. This week is when whatever they're doing at that so-called audit is supposed to be wrapped up. And the big culminating event will be the screening of the official documentary about what happened in Arizona and how the Arizona audit will expose the Trump truth of that. Honestly, the reason we know uh, about any of this is because really good reporters, dogged reporters at the Arizona Mirror and the Arizona Republic and local TV stations in Phoenix and groups like Arizona Right Wing Watch have been documenting this stuff for posterity because you otherwise wouldn't believe it. But a significant portion of the country a majority of Republican voters across the country say they believe that Donald Trump actually won re-election, or at least that there was significant fraud and there were many irregularities in the last election. And when majorities of Republican voters tell pollsters that, what they are thinking of is this so-called audit in Arizona, right? Oh, there's a recount there, right? And it sounds like they're turning up stuff that's really, really bad. Well, now from the guy who brought you the movie um, on the left about the secret space program growing aliens deep inside the earth, uh, we're about to get what I guess is the authorized documentary expose of the Arizona thing, including the support and involvement of the Republican officials and contractors who are running it. And it would be hilarious. It still is kind of hilarious, <laughs> except for the part where this is the basis for Republicans in huge numbers now saying that the last election was distorted and corrupted by massive fraud, and so nobody can have any faith in the election outcome. And therefore, Republican-controlled legislatures across the country must dramatically restrict voting rights and change the administration of elections so we never have another election like 2020 again. I mean, 
it will also be the predicate for whatever's going to happen in our country in August when Arizona says they're going to release their findings after whatever it is the QAnon cyber ninjas people did to the ballots and the voting machines in Arizona. Their report on their so-called audit, they say, will be ready in late July or early August. And August is when Trump says he will be reinstated as president. He expects in August, to be reinstated as president, presumably he believes on the basis of what Arizona is going to say they found in this thing that they set up in this local arena and had documented by the Nazis on Mars guy. This just doesn't seem like a healthful way for a mature democracy to handle the transition of power. You know, and it you know, maybe it all seems like fun and games until an angry armed mob storms your national capital to stop the election results from being certified. Or someone reporting to the pro-Trump faction in your state legislature starts banging on your door demanding to know who you voted for. Threatening that you seem like the kind of person or this seems like the kind of address that feels a little shady to them and that's going to be reported as fraud. The watchdog group, American Oversight, this week obtained a bunch of documents from the Arizona Republicans who set up and have administered the so-called audit there. Among the documents they obtained is this one. Uh, reporting back, apparently, on a door-to-door -door canvas, quote, by a citizen's nonpartisan grassroots project. They say they went door to door in Maricopa County and Pima County, Arizona, knocking on people's doors, asking who lived there, and then asking about their vote in the presidential election in November. And then reporting up to Arizona Republicans that literally most of the addresses they went to seemed like likely fraudsters. Quote, to date, over 3,000 homes have been canvassed in order to verify the integrity of the voter rolls. 52% of those canvassed addresses required an affidavit for an irregularity. 52%, really. A majority of households in Arizona are seen as needing affidavits because of irregularities as reported by volunteer citizen canvassers. This tracks with news that we saw a week ago in the Arizona Republic. Quote, people are knocking on the doors of Yavapai County residents, this is uh, in Arizona, and asking how they voted in the last election, while falsely claiming to represent the county recorder's office, according to sheriff's office officials. The mysterious door-to-door -door survey has alarmed local officials. It comes after the U.S. Justice, U.S. Department of Justice warned Arizona Senate Republicans against plans to canvass voters' homes as part of an unprecedented review of November's election. In fact, that warning is, is true. In May, the U.S. Justice Department, a senior U.S. Justice Department official, wrote to Arizona Republicans warning them about what they were doing with this so-called audit, warning them about strict federal laws that govern the handling of ballots and voting machines after a federal election. Arizona Republicans blew that off and kept doing exactly what they'd been doing before, which means the Justice Department apparently didn't mean what they said in that letter because they never followed up or took any visible action despite the implied threat in that letter which means the Justice Department apparently didn't mean what they said in that letter because they never followed up or took any visible action despite the implied threat in that letter. 
But the Justice Department's letter to Arizona also explicitly warned Arizona Republicans about what had been their stated plans to go bang on people's doors to ask them about their vote in the presidential election. After DOJ sent that letter, warning about the mishandling of ballots and voting machines, warning about plans to go door to door asking voters about how they voted. Arizona Republicans responded to that part of it and said, yeah, well, they, they didn't have plans to do the door to door stuff anyway. But now in this records request, thanks to American oversight, we know that it happened. I mean, what Arizona Republicans had reported to them from these volunteer canvassers is that it was thousands of Arizonans who got knocks on their door with random people holding clipboards, trying to appear like official something, demanding to know about their vote in the presidential election. It happened in Maricopa County. It happened in Pima County. It happened in Yavapai County. The Justice Department explicitly warned Arizona against doing this, warned Arizona Republicans, because it's against the federal law that prohibits intimidating voters in this way. They got the warning. They apparently did it anyway in three counties, thousands of households. Is the Justice Department going to do anything about that other than their stern warning they sent in May followed up with no action in response? Anyone? Hello? Is this thing on? We don't know what, if anything, the White House uh, and the Biden administration more broadly plans to do to try to defend voting rights and to protect election processes against this unprecedented and still rising tide of pressure from Republican-controlled legislatures and Republican state houses around the country. Today, a reporter for Vice News uh, says she asked the number two Senate Democrat, Dick Durbin, what would happen next on voting rights after Republicans filibustered the Democrats' big voting rights bill in the Senate today. Elizabeth Landers wrote that uh, Senator Durbin responded, quote, I'm not sure, meaning I'm not sure what will happen next. He then hinted that President Biden is, quote, doing a lot of things that haven't been announced publicly. Um, before too long, White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain retweeted that pointedly, uh, literally with a little pointing emoji, <laughs> seeming to endorse the idea that there may be actions President Biden himself or the Biden administration more broadly is taking on this issue that we can't yet see. Okay, I'm intrigued. I'm looking forward to finding out about that. But whether it's potentially Justice Department action to enforce federal laws around the handling of ballots and not intimidating voters, or whether it's something else they've got in mind, when it comes to the law, when it comes to the path of legislation, it did hit that big expected speed bump today, thanks to Democrats' unwillingness to reform the filibuster rules uh, in the face of Republican willingness to use the filibuster against absolutely everything, even voting rights. All 50 Republican senators voted today that there should not even be a debate on the voting rights bill before the People Act. That also meant that Republicans didn't even consent to considering, to even talking about a different version of the bill, like, for example, the significantly reduced iteration of the bill proposed by conservative Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Senator Manchin has been the focus of so much attention on this issue because, because of the peculiar angle he took on this thing. It wasn't just that Manchin said he didn't want to vote for a voting rights bill unless it had Republican support. He said that, but he also expressed this relentless and sort of inexplicable optimism that some Republicans would support voting rights in the end. 
when he wrote his op-ed in his hometown paper recently expressing his opposition to any voting rights bill that didn't have Republican support. That was sort of an implicit criticism of his Democratic colleagues in the Senate for writing a voting rights bill that no Republican senator could support. Senator Manchin then put his theory to the test, though. He wrote his own version of a voting rights bill, actually showing his own ideas, his concept of the kind of bill he thought Republicans rightfully should support and should be expected to support on voting rights. Senator Manchin drew up his own proposal, what he thought should get Republican votes. The Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, responded by calling Manchin's bill or his proposed bill, quote, rotten. And then today, Republican senators, all 50 Republican senators voted to not even consider what Joe Manchin put forward. So does this change Senator Manchin's mind about any of this? Does it shift his idea that no voting rights bill should pass if it doesn't have Republican votes? Now that he sees the way that Republicans are approaching this issue in terms of deciding what they're going to vote for, what they're even going to vote to debate, what they're going to vote to even hear, does this change his mind about whether or not a voting rights bill must have Republican votes if it is going to be a legitimate approach to this issue that deserves his, we don't know. Senators leave at the end of this week to go home for a two-week-long July 4th recess. What senators hear from their constituents when they're at home about the importance of voting rights. Uh, that may be determinative here as to whether this is now over or whether there might be a next step. At home in Phoenix, Arizona today, this was the scene at the offices of Democratic Senator Kirsten Sinema. She is the other conservative Democrat who's been a real holdout on this issue, also insisting that since Republicans really ought to support voting rights, Democrats should give up on it if they don't. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And her constituents clearly know. In addition to these visits at her office today, uh, Senator Sinema is also facing ads like these ones um, running on Arizona TV stations, just blasting her for not being willing to get it done, for not standing up for voting rights. Now, I don't know how this is going to end, but I do know that Republicans in the states are going maximalist with their position on this issue. Um, to the point where they literally aren't ashamed to have the dude who makes movies about Nazis on the moon and aliens doing 9-11 becoming the official documentarian for their effort to promote an election fraud narrative about Arizona because they need their election fraud narrative to bolster not only Republican disrespect for election broad strokes, but specifically to bolster Republican efforts in all Republican-controlled states now to rescind voting rights and make voting harder. They are going for a maximalist conception here. Senate Republicans in Washington know that as long as the filibuster is there, Democrats have no options in terms of backing up voting rights. Clear on that, the Republican Party being clear on that in terms of whether there's going to be any federal protection for voting rights, clears the field for Republicans in the states to go maximalist and shamelessly as far as they can on this issue, Did you to make that? voting as restricted as possible, to target voting restrictions and the, the, the administration of elections in a way that is maximally partisan to their advantage. So how is it partisan to their advantage? Is she saying that all black and brown people are too stupid to have ID? No. Now, all of you bitching, oh, we don't want to watch this. We want to just listen. You need to watch this, right? Because you need to understand where they're going with this.
They're labeling the audit as a conspiracy theory. That's number one, because the producer happened to produce alien movies. So they owned us on that. Uh, the thing is, is how do you respond to it by saying, so he's a producer. Can we start holding accountable every single producer for all the content that they make that you may not like that they're one in the same? I mean, there's a lot of producers that c produced porn before they did kids movies. That sounds sick, but it's true. There's people that did kids animated cartoons and walked into drama and comedy and porn. So are we going to tell them, oh, you did that so you can't produce? Stop. But this is how she owned us because we let them. And not only that right now, she gave you a clue as to what's up, that there are things that they're planning in the background to override our voices in the Senate because the Senate knows that they will not survive this election. The, the people of the house know that they're not going to survive this election. The rhinos know that they know that you are taking back your cities and your states. Now, what the Democrats want is to centralize voting, to have the federal government, that's the dictatorship part, control every single aspect of voting. When that relies on the state, she's telling you what they're doing. So for those of you that don't want to watch it, well, then don't complain that you didn't see it coming because this is how they operate. They tell you everything they're going to do. And the reason they're telling you is because they have to get ahead of the message of dictatorship that will come when they implement. So this way she's saying we're centralizing and taking the rights away from the states because we know best. The leftists are like, yeah, these alien people, these conspiracy theories, we can't have states being independent and upholding their own state constitution. We should just be one government under one person, under one command, because our states aren't independent. This is what they're doing. This is how they prime, right, the grounds for it. This is how they prime it, right? Just like I said, you can't invite someone to your house when you have boxes in the middle of the living room. No one's going to sit there. This is them having the living room set up. Nice candle atmosphere. Come in, leftists. Let's tell you how this isn't really taking away any of your rights, but this is what we're doing for your own good. Good girl. Good boy. This is what they're doing. This is why it's important to watch it. This is how you understand how they do it. If you don't listen to your enemy, then you're going in blind. So anyone saying that, you know, I don't want to watch this, is doing it wrong. Now, this is how they all usher it in. Now, on other notes, the same people that com that complain about me playing CNN, Matto, or anything are the same people that bitched about Britney Spears, where I was trying to bring to your attention conservatorship, obviously also to just flex my time traveling skills. Because as you saw, Britney Spears was actually on the news. And a lot of you may have said, others didn't. My inbox was full, and I really, really try to um, answer every single person. So it's really hard. Um, but I want you guys to listen to what Tucker had to say. We heard that the actress Rose McGowan wanted to come on and talk about something. We've never met Rose McGowan uh, before, but we're completely open-minded. We just learned something with Britney Spears, who we've not interviewed since she was literally a teenager. But apparently we have just read she's been under a conservatorship for the last 13 years. And this has been in the news flew under our radar, but it has been. And Rose McGowan has been watching it too and has thoughts about it. She joins us now. Rose McGowan, thanks so much for coming on tonight. 
Hi, Tucker. Nice to meet you, too. I also have an open mind. Well, <laughs> this is my favorite quality in a person. Thank you. Um, so I'm coming at this cold. I, I haven't seen Britney Spears since 2003. I just read she's been in her conservatorship. I, make the case, if you would. What is it and why is that bad or good? Well, in my opinion, and in many others, it's bad. Imagine you're a 25-year-old young woman or young human who has been forced to perform since as long as she could walk to support her family. Yes. Her father put her under conservatorship at age 25. Many in the media laughed and scorned her when she shaved her head. I lived in Hollywood during that time, and I've made it my life's mission to tell all of you out there what so many of you really know deep down, that fame and Hollywood and the media machine are rotten to the core, and they do hurt, and they do damage. At age 25, her father and a judge ruled uh, with many paid off doctors' help that Britney Spears had dementia. So. Since then, she's gone on to do a five-year residency in Vegas, two shows a day. She's gone on a tour in 2018. And what happened today is literally a cultural landmark moment. It is a cultural reset. She got to speak for the first time, I believe, in her life, honestly and openly. And what has been done to her is horrific. And I know it seems like, why should we care about a, a rich pop princess, right? But I think it's deeper than that. And I think it goes to what you talk a lot about, which is the rot in the machine and how society also plays a part in a weird form of oppression. Man, I mean, you've, you've pushed all my buttons, I have to say. I mean, <laughs> the idea that the individual is crushed by forces larger than her and that deep down it really is rotten and that people are treated as disposable objects rather than as human beings with souls. I mean, that's all That's all a display every single day. So uh, pardon my ignorance, but quickly, conservatorship means she can't make basic life decisions for herself? Absolutely none. She can make no decisions. When she sees her kids, uh, what medicine she takes. She said today, Britney Spears said they put her on lithium. That is an incredibly helpful drug for some, but a hardcore drug. She said she was doped out, I'm summarizing, and she, I think, is ready to blow the lid. She said today she's so angry it's insane, and I understand that, that kind of rage after being the, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I didn't, I didn't say anything. I'm, I'm listening intently. Oh, sorry, I heard something. So, you know, the thing is, I was the first one to go on the record about Harvey Weinstein and that kind of sickness and the people that are truly putting your entertainment in your head. And while we've all been entertained by Britney Spears, she's been being tortured. And I know it, it, it seems like one person, but they've done this to women and humans and whistleblowers and people they don't like. And, and really, like you said, Tucker, the people, the monsters in power, that control the puppet, not just her, but like the message it sends to every girl or every boy out there that you are disposable and the elite can own you. 
So I, so I think it matters. I do. I think the individual matters above all. Yeah. And if they can destroy one person, they can destroy everyone. I, I know nothing but what you just told me, but I think you make a really compelling case. I love that you care. And I'm really glad that you came on tonight. Rose McGowan, thank you very much. I'm honored. Thank you, Tucker. So in a side conversation with one listener uh, who expressed their frustration of me trying to demonstrate conservativeship with Brittany, I said, well, you need to understand what conservativeship is because, uh, you know, you need to understand what's going to come out of this Hunter Biden thing. But also, you know, uh, you're going to be hearing a lot about Britney Spears soon. I mean, that's coming to the table soon. And it's important uh, because, uh, you know, go back to the show and listen to it. <laughs> so it was, you know, his response was, um, well, you never see any of this BS, you know, about Britney on political talk shows. You'll never catch that stuff on anything like OAN or Fox. And I'm like, okay, well, let's bet. <laughs> bet. And he's like... Man, I don't have time for this. Well, I guess she was on Tucker. The topic was on Tucker, so there. Now, nothing that has transpired in regards to uh, delays is um, more frustrating than seeing the train wreck in slow motion. Uh, the minute you realize what the mitigation is for what's to come, and you express it and you tackle it. I mean, it's like, have you ever ran a race and you're just like, oh, I just need one more foot. But then when you jump to cross that line, you just fall right short of that line. That's exactly how I feel right now. Every single time I'm pushing forward, pushing to put this, pushing to do that, it's as if I come short. And that's because, you know, I'm only one person and I'm, I'm just one person. And I'm hoping that every single American out there that uh, has access to my voice is understanding just how important it is to do their part in their community, in their society, uh, because it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And we had a lot of wins, and you're going to see how many wins in hindsight starting July. But like I said, the wins that we get in June should not make us comfortable at all because it's about to get really, really, really bad. Um, they're stepping it up big time and uh, everything is happening the way they wanted it. And you can see the uh, small actions of such uh, potential changes in our society um, in this short video. Take a listen to this. This is crazy. It's not over. It's not over. We were meeting. We were meeting. Doesn't look like fun. That was John Tegas, a retired Air Force veteran, a taxpayer, and one of two people arrested yesterday after arguments broke out during a packed meeting, a school board meeting in Loudoun County, Virginia. The chaos erupting after the board cut off public comment. They didn't like hearing the truth over their new proposal that would allow students to use facilities that correspond to their gender identity, meaning a boy can just walk into the girl's restroom if he says he's a girl. Soon after the superintendent declared an unlawful assembly and called in police because they didn't want to hear the other side. They just want autonomy. Tegas, who refused to leave the public forum, was handcuffed, forced into a police van, 
He was issued a summons for trespassing and then later was released. And he joins us now tonight. John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you have you have yeah, six great kids. To be here, Rob. Thank you. Yeah, we got a little delay there, but uh, you have six kids, and as I understand it, none of them are actually in this district. Most of them, I think, are out of school. Tell us why you decided to attend this meeting. You were awfully inspired. <laughs> well, I believe my community and my friends, my neighbors, my fellow members in churches, uh, they do have kids in school. And I get a deal regardless of that with the results of the schools. And right now the school is turning out Unfortunately, just academically, they're failing. This used to be one of the best school districts in the country, and, and they can barely get people to pass math and reading. And two, worse, they're indoctrinating them with ideas that are just not true. And that's what we got to stop, or not only will these young people be affected, but this entire country can't stand with a whole bunch of folks believing in lies. I agree. It's some, it is something to see. It's such a scary time. I'm glad I don't have kids uh, in school right now because I'd be mortified of all this. Parents were also there to protest the teaching of critical race theory, not just the bathroom stuff. Uh, here's a Loudon teacher who has been very vocal against this. Don't be afraid to speak out for your kids because they are voiceless and they, and they rely on you. You should be afraid of them rooting for socialism by the time they get to middle school. Teachers, it may seem that our careers have come to a dead end, but I'm here to remind you, we don't work for the school board. We work to mold the next generation of well-rounded American patriots. You know, it's so refreshing, John, to see that there are common sense teachers out there that don't get scooped up into all this mess. But it really is scary to see how this is just overtaken, you know, so many of these institutions. Yeah, it really is. I mean, we are all suffering as a result of what's taking place here. The good news is, is, is they work for us. Yeah. <laughs> we are the parents, we are the taxpayers, and we have decided here in Loudoun County that we're going to take that position, that they're going to have to hear from us and they're going to have to be accountable for us, or we will remove them. And actually just a few petition signature away from school board members right now. Yeah. What, what are some of the worst things? I, I know your kids are in the petitions so that we can take them. Yeah. Under, understood. I, I know your kids are not in this district, but what are some of the, what are some of the worst things that, uh, that you're hearing? If we still have them, do we still have, them? I'm still here. Okay. Yeah. What, what are some of the worst stories you're hearing about what these kids are being indoctrinated with John? Well, some of the testimony yesterday was, was heartbreaking. Uh, young people talking about having to, do things in locker rooms and bathrooms with boys who call themselves girls. And I mean, that's, that's really just, it's, it's a broader symptom. Yeah. The underlying problem is so much deeper than that. And that is that we've adopted a world in which we worship ourselves, our flesh, our, our desires over doing what has brought abundance to this country for 250 years. And that's being lost. And in the place of it, we're teaching them folks the things that don't make no sense. It's crazy, man. Yeah. Boys are not girls and girls are not boys. And yet people are being forced to adopt that or being told that they're hateful. Yeah. We live in, we live in a wonderful country that, that has been created that we're so fortunate to be in. And we have a huge swath of the population here that is spoiled rotten and is hell bent on destroying it for some weird reason. And I can't figure it out either. But John, I guess we appreciate you standing up for it. 
and it's great to have you on tonight. Great. I appreciate you having me. All right. Hey, I'm wow. Rob Finnerty. Thanks for watching. Wow, right? Wow. So now they're removing you from the school grounds if you don't abide by their rules. If you don't tell them what they want to hear. If you don't listen, sit down and shut up. Uh, that's exactly what they're telling you. This is where we're at. This is what we've allowed. And like I said, it's going to get worse. You know, and it was, it could have been worse for me, actually. So all of you know that I was traveling um, this past week. And obviously, when you're constantly going to different places and locations and, you know, um, renting things, sometimes you lose things. Well, I actually lost one of my burner devices. Um, I have a phone that I use. Um, that's my personal cell phone. I have uh, another that is just for work. And then I have my burner devices. Well, turns out uh, at a condo that I rented, I had forgotten one of my <laughs> burner devices, which is no big deal because it was one of those phones that you buy for like $100, right? Anyway, um, and just so happened that <laughs> I was actually talking to some of you on a group chat when I was sitting on the balcony. Watch this. This is pretty interesting. Hey, good morning, everyone. TJ Holmes here at the ABC studios in Times Square in New York coming on the air because we're keeping an eye on a breaking situation that happened overnight, a 12 story building collapse. You're seeing the picture there. This is in Surfside, Florida. This happened overnight. We're waiting for a press conference. It looks like they are getting together uh, and getting together to give us information, the very latest. But what we do know is that this building collapse partial building collapse, a 12-story residential building. At least one person has been confirmed dead. The rescue effort has been underway overnight, but the pictures as the daylight has come has shown this devastation. Again, this is in Surfside, just north of Miami Beach in Florida. Several, these are family units. We are told that some families walked out on their own. However, the mayor there has told us there was no reason to believe that this building was not full when this building collapsed overnight, 911 calls started coming in around 1 a.m. in the morning. One in the morning. So we are standing by for these folks to give right, us folks, the updates. They, the city officials up, look like they are the getting started. We're, we're getting an idea of what the format you, right? is going uh, to be. So uh, we're going to go ahead and listen in. We'll wait a moment there. Sounds like they're doing a little housekeeping here, but this has been a horrific situation uh, so far to keep an eye on. But let's get the update now and listen uh, to the officials there about this about this building collapse. County Commission Chairman. From there, we're going to go with Mr. Andrew Hyatt, who's Surfside City Manager. We're going to do English, followed immediately by Spanish of each speaker. And at the end, we will do questions and answers. We're going to do questions and answers to the very end because we have inclement weather that's coming. So bear with us as, as, as much as we can. Okay. And once we call the last the last question, it'll be the last question. Yes, sir. Okay. So what we'll do is we'll start off. We'll start off with the Honorable Levine Cup. Thank you, thank you. Well, here we are. The unimaginable, incredible. Uh, our prayers are with with the the residents, with the families, with the community. What we know at this point is that the Champlain Tower, uh, Tower South, is a twelve-story building. It's uh, more than one hundred and thirty units, and about half of those have collapsed. 
Uh, a massive search and rescue is underway, uh, and we know that we're going to do everything we can possibly do to identify and rescue those who have been trapped in the rubble. Uh, Miami-Dade Fire Rescue is leading the efforts, and they have been on the scene since the early morning, and they're doing an amazing job. Thank you so much to our brave, brave fire rescue uh, workers. Uh, they have years of experience in this type of operation, uh, and they are doing everything they possibly can do. So we need to allow them to do their work. Very important. We need to allow them to do their work because every minute in this search can make a huge difference. Uh, for, we've set up a family uh, reunification hotline for those who are trying to get information about their loved ones. Call 305-614-1819. 614-1819. Or you can go to miamidade.gov slash emergency to report online missing persons or to check in if someone is safe. So again, 305-614-1819. Chaplains and victim advocates are on site ready to support the survivors and family members who will be in need of resources. Our social service agencies as well are, are coming in. They are going to be here to assist in the hours and the days ahead. I'm thinking of all of our first responders. I know you are as well, and I'm praying for their safety as they go about their uh, difficult work of, of saving lives. Eh, bueno, aquí estamos. Lo increíble que ha ocurrido. Eh, ya Difference right now here that this 12-story partial collapse of an apartment building, a residential building, gives us the update that 130 units are in that building, and she says that half of them have collapsed. The rescue efforts are underway as we speak. We do know that at least one person has been confirmed dead, but they are trying to rescue others as we speak. She said that every single minute is making a huge difference right now in this rescue effort. We do know that some families were able to walk out on their own. However, an earlier update said only about 15 families were able to do that and walk on their own, walk out on their own. Our Victor Akindo has been on this story for us. We're going to get to him in just a moment. Uh, Victor, stand by with this us. We have someone else stepping to in our community, and especially the city of Surfside, when something like this actually happens. Um, it is uh, important that all your prayers go out to the family members and those that are suffering right now. Uh, I want to thank the, all the first responders for the incredible job that they've been doing, they have done, and that we'll be doing for the next several days and dealing with this. Uh, it is important that we all rally around the families and the people that are actually suffering so much at this time. I want to thank my colleague also that is here, Rene Garcia, along with all my colleagues that have been calling nonstop to try to find out anything they could do to help out. We are together as a community, working together. As the mayor said, all the details have been given, but we're here together to find anything that we could do to help the families that have gone through this tragedy. So on behalf of Miami-Dade County's commission, the chairman of the board, we're here to support the Surfside and this community and everything we could do. Estoy aquí de parte de la comisión de Miami-Dade County como su presidente. Ya oyeron de la alcaldesa que dio detalles anteriormente de la situación listen in here to Jose uh, Diaz, who is on the Miami-Dade uh, County Commission. 
I want to bring in our Victor Akinda, who has been on scene for us uh, really overnight and into this morning. Victor, let me bring you in here. And again, the word that they started with was unimaginable, and it is, and it's unbelievable to see these pictures. Give us an idea of what they are up against right now and what the hope is of possibly finding some survivors in that rubble. Well, that certainly is the hope, TJ, but let me show you where we are. That's the building right there behind me. The front of it, it's still standing. However, as the mayor just described, there's more than 130 units in that building and about half of them came crashing down and we we're being kept at a distance because we're told it could still totally collapse any minute now, yet firefighters are still inside. We should also tell you that it looks like a storm is about to roll right through Miami-Dade County, which you guys already have an incredibly difficult job ahead of them right now. That for sure will only complicate matters as they continue to search for any survivors here. The latest we know, one person is confirmed dead, but the local mayor here in Surfside thinks that that death toll could rise. TJ? The daylight reveals just how incredible and devastating this is. You're looking at a 12-story residential, an apartment building in Surfside, Florida with a partial collapse. We just heard from the fire chief there that in fact there are 136 units in this building. 55 of them have collapsed. They have pulled out at least 35 people, he said, have been rescued. Some of them had to be treated, but 35 people were rescued. Those rescue efforts do continue. I want to bring in, as we look at this picture, Steve McGill, who's a Jersey City fire chief. And, and Steve, uh, what do you think when you see this picture? And something I just heard uh, them say is that there's concern that there could be a further collapse. Yeah, that's would be my major concern right now. Uh, you don't know what initially caused that collapse. Uh, their rescue teams like ours would be putting up transits, basically laser beams, shooting at the building to see if there's any of the slightest movement. And if there is, they're going to uh, track that to see if the building is still shifting. Uh, the most, uh, one of the worst uh, tragedies could happen is another secondary collapse while we have firefighters in there trying to rescue other people that are in there. Uh, due to the time that this happened, there's definitely people that are going to be in there that are trapped. Steve, Steve as we look at this picture, so, uh, look, right now the effort is to try to save as many lives as we can. And Steve, stay with me here. We do have Miami-Dade police that have stepped to the podium here to continue Mr. to update Rollins us. will be the lead investigative so agency. We'll be working with Surfside Police Department and our other municipal partners. The goal is to provide a, a thorough investigation and closure for our families. Freddie Ramirez, Director of Miami-Dade Police Department. City Manager of Surfside, Mr. Andrew Hyatt. First and foremost, our, our thoughts and prayers are with the families and the victims. Um, also, I, I just want to make sure that uh, the, the uh, emergency personnel understand how important it is that, that we, we have their uh, participation here. It's, we appreciate it very much. Uh, We've been in contact with uh, uh, Senator Scott, Senator Rubio's office. We've been in touch with the governor's office, Governor. So those of you that are watching right now, you see the collapse on video. It looks very controlled, but I'm going to show you another video that can explain to you exactly what happened. Um, and that was so weird. And on the day that it happened, my daughter was actually um, swimming and I was watching her um, from where I was sitting um, when this happened and she was in the water and there was a young boy with his sister playing. And, you know, the one thing about Miami and the beach there is that there's a very strong current and even the best swimmers can be uh, taken out with a strong current. 
And one rule that I set with Phoebe was do not put your head under the water. I don't care if you can reach, wade in the water, sit at the end. If I'm not by the beach, you do not put your head in the water, period. I don't care if it's to look at turtles and fish. I really don't care. The current can take you under faster than anything. Well, as she was sitting there waiting and looking at the seaweed and doing whatever, because I was watching her like the stalker mom, right? While I was doing what I the meetings that I had, I would be watching her consistently. And because the water's not deep, you can walk pretty far and it's not, but the currents are strong. And as someone who's a very good swimmer, and when I say I'm a very good swimmer, that's not an understatement. Okay. That, that is probably an understatement. I am a very, very good swimmer. And I actually float, like legit float. Like I don't even have to move and I float. Not because of my <laughs> the size of my behind. It's just something that I am biologically akin to. I don't even have to swim and I'll float. Anyway, so I'm sitting there watching her. And just as always, as we all know how it is with parents, I look away two seconds, but these waves came out of nowhere, right? This is days ago, right? These waves came out of nowhere and this little boy and his sister were playing and they were laying down, you know, doing whatever. And the mom started screaming because these massive waves hit the beach and that little boy was taken under. So obviously Phoebe being, you know, the teenager there while all the other little, you know, Saudi and Qatari kids were playing. She saved the little boy. She went under, got him up. And she said, mom, I felt like I was drowning, but I was lucky. I knew God was going to help me because she got under and pushed him out into the sea. So, you know, for me, I look and my kid's under and I'm like, oh, uh, I got to run. And the minute I say that she gets spit out onto shore. What happened? This happened. And now you're going to understand how this will be explained. Regardless of what your eyes are seeing, this will be the explanation. Considerably. So what you guys are watching was a feed by RTE News. The Navy dropped a bomb, 161 miles off the coast of Miami. It actually caused an earthquake, and we all know earthquakes create waves, yes? So here's another view from their helicopter or ship. There you go, from the ship. Yeah, it was off the shore of Florida, not specifically Miami. I misspoke. I should correct myself. Okay, so there's another view of this now. Hold on. Here we go. Did you guys see that right beforehand? I want you to see it again. Give me a second. What's that? So that's where the not so big, it wasn't like tsunami waves came in. They were just really aggressive. They were bigger than the normal ones. And that's that happens anytime you have any earthquake around the vicinity of water. But mm, remember, 
Oh, here's a good view. Yes, let's watch this. Hold on. Target. So as we see that happen. Now, what do we know about Florida? What we know about Florida is that they are pretty much sea level. And uh, actually, one the one thing that I like to eat is fish. I'm not a pescatarian, but I freaking love fish. And so I found there's one place in New York that I go to all the time because uh, it has a specific fish. I like the fatty toro tuna, toro, right? Which is like fatty tuna, raw, right? But the thing is, it has to be good, right? If it's crap, it's like not worth it. So I wanted to go eat some fish. Um, and so I went to this place right by that condominium. <laughs> so weird. Because I had a meeting and there was a, um, a resort nearby uh, that had uh, the sushi place. So we moved from the apartment to the place there to sit down and eat that fish. And when I walked in to the um, hotel lobby, right, to go there, um, I was put off immediately because I could smell. So one superpower I have, it's not my hearing and it's not my sight, but it's my olfactory. There is nothing that I can't smell. I mean, those that know me well know that my sense of smell is like on point, specifically for a smoker. That's pretty impressive, right? So I walk in and I look at the people that I'm with and I'm just like, damn, this is like so not what a Michelin type chef would play where they would place their, their eatery. It smelled, it smelled like, um, old water, right? Like they were damp. It was damp. I could smell it. And, uh, I couldn't put my finger on it. So as we, um, had some fish, which by the way, it was okay. It wasn't smashing the last place I went to. Now that was good. Like I inhaled it, but I walked out to have a cigarette and I talked to the door guy, bellhop dude. And I was like, why does it smell in there? He's like, what do you mean? Why does it smell? I said, it really smells like, you know, you guys were flooded. It's so weird. And he said, oh, you know, when it gets hot, I think underground, that smell kind of comes up. Uh, you know, it, does, it did rain the other day. And I'm like, no, nah, dude. All right. I just left it. I was like, okay. So I could smell that other people couldn't smell this like damp, right? And I could also smell it at the, at the apartment at the timeshare that we were at. So I was like, dang something's off. And I didn't realize how that connected. Now, I'm not going to say more on that, but I'm going to tell you this is how it's going to be explained away uh, because of the collapse. Uh, this is going to be how it's going to be explained away. Now, do you blame the Navy for the earthquake that caused the uh, shaking of the unstable underground foundations of that building? Will the building be held accountable for it. Did it create a sinkhole is what they're going to tell you. That was controlled demolition. Regardless, the building would not fall so nice and neat. If not, we saw it with building seven as well. So uh, what's even more interesting is that the security video that everyone's sharing is sharing 
while it was collapsing, not right before it. So that's interesting. So we're going to see how this is explained away because I don't think people are putting one and one together. <laughs> now, the person that I was meeting with was no longer at that apartment, no longer at that timeshare. But I do know that in one of the closets um, where I had placed my things, that burner phone is now gone. <laughs> it was in one of those apartments. So that's um, that's weird. Um you know, there's nothing that I, that I can hide. Everyone's looking at my stuff, so I don't care. But the thing is, is this is how they're going to explain that away. That's exactly how they're going to explain it away. Um, uh, utilizing the, uh, explosion, uh, in the water and this way insurance can pay and it's going to be a shit show. And until we get to the bottom of it, uh, you're going to be hearing a lot of stories and a lot of takes of how this happened. But, uh, you know, when that comes, when that time comes, you'll just, how does Chucky say it? Circle back to, um, this show and say, Dan, she already told us. So that way you already know. Okay. Let's just put it that way. You already know what a coincidence. Now, uh, tomorrow, uh, I will be traveling. So, um, there will be no show, but, I will do one on Saturday night. I'm going to, well, I should try to. That's if, if I'm done, because I want to get, I want to tell you guys what I'm doing. Um, if I'm done in time, I will let you know. In the meantime, I know that Saturday evening, I will be sharing uh, on Telegram where I'm at, with who I'm at, and what's going on. Uh, but um, what we need to uh, focus on is what we're doing locally. For those of you that are going to Ohio rally, make our voices heard, make Americans proud to be American. I told you, uh, Ohio, and this is where it begins. The story always begins. The war always begins on the rubble of destruction always. And unfortunately, um, we're seeing that way too often. Um, for those of you that are going to be watching the rally, um, you know, I wish I could stream it, but I will be somewhere at that time and it can't. In the meantime, please keep your ability to detect bullshit on high alert because right now what you are seeing is snowflakes melting. They're trying to mitigate what's coming. They're trying to mitigate and create the illusion that our election audit uh, is a conspiracy, that we should not be auditing anything, and that we should blindly trust the government. This is their fight back. And the next two months are going to be horrible. They're just going to be horrible. You're going to see it. It's going to be horrible, but this is where you just need to focus on taking your local community back because I know this isn't something you want to hear and this isn't something I like to say, but as long as you're doing your part, you help others that are doing things behind the scene do their part. And that's very important. 
So God bless everyone. I will see you on Telegram, and hopefully um, I can do this on Saturday night. But I will be trying to stream slash send you videos of who, what, when, where for Saturday. God bless everyone. If you lie to the government, they'll put you in prison But when they lie to all of us, it's called being a politician You think taking guns away will save our kids from the killings But you're pro-choice, abortion kills way more children If America's so terrible and racist It probably isn't safe to encourage immigration Just saying, all the contradictions are embarrassing you know who hates America the most? Americans. Trigger warnings used to be on TV for seizures. And now they're everywhere to protect millennials' feelings. He, she, his, him, hers, them, they, scroll pronouns. Cause everyone's a retard these days. I hear of preaching at the protest that hatred's the problem. But hating straight men, white folks, and Christians is common. Coca-Cola telling people they should be less white. They preach intolerance, but if you disagree, they fight. There's a race war here. Elections based on fear. Black lives only matter once every four years. Soldiers died for this country and every one of us benefits. Welfare to the bums and forget about the veterans. Black folks and white folks divided by the news, but we are all the same. We are red, white, and blue. Ashamed to be American? Okay, that's cool. Design.